This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk with NetApp's Lab on Demand director, Toby Creek, about how they manage 8,000 users with just 20 people. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio with me today. We have Toby Creek of our lab on demand here at NetApp. So, uh, Toby, um, what's your specific title and how do we reach you? Uh, I'm the director of lab on demand and you can reach me at Toby at NetApp.com. It's probably the, the quickest way. Excellent. We did a podcast previously with Labs on Demand, just basically talking about the new customer access to that. And that kind of got us thinking about Lab on Demand in general and how large Lab on Demand has gotten over time. So, Toby, you've been there since pretty much day one. Um, how has it grown over time and how big is it now? So when we started out, you know, the initial uh, iteration of Lab on Demand was based on uh, hardware controllers and a little bit of Zen virtualization. And, uh, and we were really constrained in what we could do there. So, you know, 90 concurrent environments, you know, a couple hundred users on a monthly basis was about all we could tolerate. And it was just it was really hard to keep up with. So. You know, along with the rest of the world, we went to virtualization as our solution. Uh, we're very fortunate here in NetApp in that uh, there's a robust, and there has been a very robust history of using um, uh, uh, our ONTAP software as a virtual machine or as even a process running on a, on a virtual machine uh, or as a container where, uh, you know, you can use it for all kinds of purposes, QA, test dev uh, types of stuff in engineering. We've been doing that for, for many years because, you know, all the, all the secret sauce is in ONTAP. It's, it's in the software. That's where the value is. Um, and, uh, and, and so we use that as a, as a basis to start building labs and uh, lab environments with uh, NetApp software and integration uh, pieces, pieces, parts built in uh, on top of that. And uh, we got to the point where uh, we could scale a lot farther with that. So we implemented a virtualization orchestration system from a major virtualization vendor. And we got to about uh, 650, 700 concurrent labs, uh, you know, 1,000 users a month, something like that. Um, And then transformation happened. So as a company, we really had to grow and we had to find uh, uh, new techniques and new ways to leverage our own technology uh, to try and push that boundary a lot further. So we kind of reached the limits of what we could do at the time. And uh, so we looked at all the NetApp on tap goodness, you know, the what I call the snap cluster flex. You know, if you sort of think of Rice Krispies and snap crackle pop, it's, it's the same kind of thing. I call a snap flex cluster, yeah. but continue. <laughs> so, so we take those, those three and we actually utilize all of those pieces now. So we wrote our own custom automation, our, our own custom orchestration, because um, we had a really deep understanding of what it was our users needed and what we needed from a lab delivery system. So uh, what we need it to do is, is pretty specific. So um, we added a staff programmer. We got some very knowledgeable NetApp people. We had uh, some contributions from some alumni of this podcast. 
that we were uh, uh, very fortunate to have access to to help us develop some of these things, some of these uh, techniques and the way we deploy. And, um, and so to make a long story short, uh, in the uh, about two and a half years ago, we relaunched the Lab on Demand on this custom platform of ours. And now we service about 2,500 users a month, do about 80,000 lab environments a year. Uh, about 10,000, uh, somewhere around the order of 10,000 LOD labs proper. And then as a result of transformation, we took on NetAppU. Uh, as we discussed on this podcast earlier, we've added customer labs and the test drive service and, uh, and all of these things. And they're all leveraging that same, that same automation backend. So, you know, 10,000 labs, you know, 80,000 users. How many people are on your team? Uh, I've got about 20 people. So that's, and that's divided kind of into three disciplines. There's the, the architecture side of things, which is, uh, you know, my front end people, my orchestration uh, developer, and, uh, and a couple of system architects. And then um, my content guys, which I, you know, absolutely can't do without them because they're the guys who write the lab guides. And, uh, and those workflows work with our subject matter experts to get um, to get the stories together and, uh, and make those labs the, the documented, usable entities that they are uh, for all their various use cases. And then, uh, and then I have uh, a, a team that, uh, that supports these labs. So if our users are having difficulty or uh, labs need maintenance, uh, those kind of things, uh, they'll, they'll jump in, get involved, and, uh, and help sort that stuff out. So you do, do you divide the eighty thousand users amongst yourselves? So you get about four thousand each. Yeah, I, you know what I what I do is kind of give out poker chips, and I let people, yeah. you know, kind of say, yeah, these, you know, these are the ones I'm claiming this month. You know, that I, I I feel personal personally responsible for these. Um, so it's an end user draft essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You look for height and you know metrics and that sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the help desk tickets, you know, those those go along with them. So you know. So, you know, we joke, but, I mean, that's a lot of stuff, right? So with a small team like that, you have to figure out a way to make that job easier, right? So you are doing automation, and automation is important for any environment, really, that's trying to deploy in an enterprise level. Um, and Lab on Demand has reached that level of enterprise because you're now servicing outside of NetApp. Before, when it was just, at, you know, the field and whoever inside of NetApp, it wasn't as crucial, right? It could go down, and, you know, it wouldn't be great, but you'd be fine for the most part. And, but setting things up could be done by hand and, you know, in, in cases. Now, <laughs> stuff has to be up all the time, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, and you have to be able to deploy quickly and be able to move quickly. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, our business is changing. Our user base is changing, you know, with the additional services we added this year. Um, uh, you know, business always changing, the world changing, um, the the frequency uh, of of change, the pace of change is just unrelenting, and it and it has accelerated in the last few years. And so, in our um, in our service, in what we offer, we have to be um, you know everything has to be repeatable. Uh, with the size of user community that we're dealing with, and now uh, outreach to customers, uh, we absolutely everything we do has to be repeatable, um, and and we have to do it tens of thousands of times a month. So, um, so I look at it from the perspective of if I can't automate it, 
I've got to I've got to figure out a way to engineer it out of the system. Uh, I can't be uh, I can't be stuck with manual processes um, uh, almost in in any facet. Now there are places where we have to do that. You know things where where we're not in control of the external service that we're talking to or you know exception handling. There's those kinds of things, and that's why you have a team. But um, you know for everything else, for our day to day responsibility, anything that goes with the service, it's got to be automated. So with automation, I mean, generally speaking, that's at a software level, but you can also do some hardware automation as well. So how are you differentiating between the two? Like, how do you do hardware hardware automation versus software automation? Well, having the, the prior experience with lab on demand in a hardware flavor, you know, that, that hardware generation um, – we know what the what the problems are there. You've got real world processes that can fail. You know, uh, disks fail, uh, controllers go offline. Uh, uh, all of those various things can impact your operation, and um, and it's much more uh, complex and less deterministic, if you will, than than virtual machines or or software defined constructs. So um, with hardware, we do hardware automation. We don't do it in a self-service manner. So you can't come to Lab on Demand and say, I want a, you know, a, a, a 300, uh, a lab with an A300 in it. We don't, we don't do that level of it. But uh, through NetApp University, we do some hardware-based classes that can't be done any other way. So, you know, again, for me, the first approach is, is virtualize it. And if I can't virtualize it, then I have to automate it. Uh, uh, and, uh, and hardware is no exception to that. So, uh, so we do have some, some hardware pieces, uh, that are automated as well, and they're incorporated into the lab on demand platform through network extension, basically. So with the hardware automation, what are you using to do that? Is it just basic scripting or is it other stuff? A variety of frameworks. Uh, Some of them are internal custom. Uh, We've actually, for our ONTAP stuff, we've co-opted an internal engineering test harness uh, for resetting controllers because it already handles all of the exceptions. You know, oh, you were running a newer ONTAP version before than you're running now, so these things don't match up. Well, the, the, the workflows are already in there to correct all of that. We don't have to do that from scratch. That makes things a lot easier for sure. Absolutely. You guys use it Norton Ghost at all? I mean, Ghost to Machines? No. If, if, <laughs> if, and that's the thing. You know, we're, we kind of get spoiled uh, here at NetApp sometimes with things like, uh, like FlexClone. You know, if I'm moving data, it's taking too long. You know, the, the fastest data copy I can make is one where the bits don't move. And that's the beauty of something like FlexClone, which underpins all of our LOD lab instances. Everything we do is a clone of a template that we started with and customized. Yeah, so basically, you know, let's walk through that. So, to, you know, when someone spins up a lab from the Lab on Demand site, what happens there? So, um, so let's let's start from the beginning in our content development environment because that's where the that's where the labs really grow from. So, the content team works in there to develop a template and get all of the pieces right. So, we want the software installed. We want it to look and feel a certain way. Uh, you know, when you when you land in the environment, we want it set up to a certain point, and then we kind of freeze it. And that freezing is the is snapshots. So snapshots give us a versioning capability and a, a, a sort of timeline as we go through lab development. So not only do we have restore points, but we have versions of that same lab. 
and then um, so once we're happy with what it looks like in content development, so we do our unit test by actually using the same workflow to deploy it in our content, what I call pod, you know, that's our, our VMware cluster that's dedicated to content. Um, so those labs get deployed there. We unit test them there. We can put external users in them to kind of validate that, hey, this thing is all like it needs to be. And then we're going to publish it, and we publish it out to uh, multiple production pods. So the production pods look just like content. They're just much larger. So, uh, you know, there'd be 32 servers uh, in, a, in a production pod on top of a all-flash FAS with dedicated networking. Um, and we do it that way so that, you know, each of these pods, as, as we add capacity to the service, we do it in chunks. So we do it in 32 servers and an all-flash FAS uh, uh, for each pod. And that way, uh, we, can, we can scale our capacity pretty easily. We can lifecycle the hardware, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing is we can take those, po those pods offline individually uh, without anybody noticing. We let the labs drain out. We can do maintenance on them, uh, all of that kind of stuff, and the service stays up and running. So we just you know shift the lab load around. Um, at any rate, so it gets published out to those uh, production pods via SnapMirror. So we actually use SnapMirror replication as a publishing engine, uh, as a publishing mechanism, not just a, uh, you know, a, a disaster recovery or business continuance replication engine. It's our publishing mechanism. So we uh, will publish that lab out to those pods, and then uh, when a user requests it, uh, it gets deployed. And the way that we deploy it is, uh, is FlexClone. Now, uh, listeners of this podcast may be familiar with VAAI, so our, our array plugins uh, for, v for VMware to virtualization to give you the capability of, uh, of very rapid clones. Um, we, uh, we used to leverage that technology, and we kind of found the, some of the limits of it um, in, in what we do with the number of labs. Um, and things like outages could be really disruptive because you end up with objects on the file system and all that you can need to go clean up. And it, it, uh, it can become a lot. So what we do is volume level flex clones. Um, and that gives us, so a, a lab template goes into a volume. All the, virtual, all the, all the virtual machines go in together um, and uh, in, in the arrangement we want them in that template, they all live in that volume together. And we flex clone from the snapshot we want to get the version that we want to, uh, uh, to satisfy the request from the user. Um, the volume flex clone operation takes maybe 10 seconds. We junction it into our namespace, so that's where the cluster piece comes in, um, in, in terms of ONTAP features that we're leveraging. And then we just register the VMs right where they are. Um, and that whole process, we can go from, uh, you know, from nothing to a, uh, a constructed lab uh, in about 30 seconds up to a lab, you know, that, that has uh, the, the limitations of ONTAP in terms of size of a volume. So if you want a lab that contains 100 terabytes of data, we don't have any, but uh, you, could, you could create one and uh, its creation would take about 30 seconds. So when they click the create button or deploy lab button, um, that spins up the flex clone off the snap mirror destination, right? So exactly. we're actually running the labs off the destination systems. That's right. And, and I can be updating the labs 
while people are using them. So I can publish a new version, and then we just go and change the version that when you request this particular lab, you get the new version. But the old versions are still out there and they're still might be still available, might not be available anymore. Maybe we did something like updated a license or, you know, made some kind of change to, to fix a problem. Uh, so the old, the old versions will cycle off, and everybody who requests from, uh, one from that point on gets the new version. And this is basically a way that people can use Flex clones in software development as well, right? They can use it for change control and merge, oh, there's merging tons changes, of, uh, splitting changes. Absolutely. There's tons of applications for this that tie into the CI, CD world, you know, the, the DevOps, um, you know, spin it up. Uh, do something with it, you know, uh, maybe automate a test suite on top of it because I'm a big fan of automation and then tear it down and then do it again, you know, or, hey, new version comes out, publish that new version, just like what we do, and then iterate through that. So uh, it gives it, it gives you a lot of flexibility in, in implementing that kind of workflow. So with the uh, SnapMirror destination system, is that, I mean, when you do DR, a lot of the times people use like a maybe a spinning drive system or something that isn't going to be as expensive as your, your prod system. But in this case, I mean, DR is essentially prod. So is it like a, a like-for-like like system on the f- source and destination, or is even the source like a lesser system than the destination in this case? <laughs> the source for us is actually a bigger system um, because uh, we have eight production pods currently. So actually, I'm sorry, ten. Uh, I can't forget the customer pods in that. So, so we need to seed those destinations pretty quickly. Um, and, and so that puts a, a lot of load on the source controller. So the destinations um, are actually a little bit smaller than what we have at the source. Are you leveraging uh, synchronous SnapMirror at all today? Or is that something that looks like it would be useful for Lab on Demand in the future? Uh, Sync SnapMirror doesn't have a lot of application for us because we tend to be pretty deterministic about our publishing. You know, uh, we may create multiple versions in content development before we publish the first one. And so having sort of continuous replication re- uh, relationships doesn't make quite as much sense. Yeah, so you don't need up to the minute or up to the no. second updates. Okay. Um, so... You know, the way you used to do things was probably more of a manual process when you first started out, and then you kind of evolved in this automation thing. Um, what were some of the limitations you found when you were doing things in a less automated fashion, and how has that enabled you to go further with your current environment? Well, uh, so the, 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 the big takeaway from that really is um, as we've continued to automate, we can keep up with the scale of the environment. So the you know the the user count and just the sheer labs and all that we're that we're not only releasing but supporting on an ongoing basis. Uh, being able to deploy automation to that means that my people that are on my team uh, can handle all of the stuff uh, that that can't be automated. So um, the the user support functions, uh, dealing with um, some of our external stakeholders uh, and and keeping them up to date on sort of what's going on, uh, the content creation process, you know, the the storytelling that goes on in uh, in the content team, uh, those are things that we can't automate. But by deploying automation, it means that that uh, as I add people on the team, we're scaling all of the other stuff that we do linearly. So the, the, the automation isn't an overhead on everybody else. Uh, stuff that, that, um, that, uh, that 
isn't automated. You know, it consumes a certain percentage of everybody's people time. Um, you know, in, in the old days, um, for example, our publishing process was not automated. So we actually had two separate systems. And to get uh, the virtual machine, the lab templates from one to the other, uh, was actually a very manual process. There was a there was a lot of hand holding. It didn't work all the time. Uh, uh, doing updates meant that you actually had to take the lab offline. Um, you know, things like that were were really difficult to manage. And we've automated all of that out. So now, uh, the content team really can focus on what's the story we're trying to tell. Let's get that nailed down. Let's get a high quality product in the in the lab itself. And, uh, and and get that into production really quickly. And those are the pieces we can't automate. So I'm guessing that when you first started out with the automation process, there were some bumpy paths, rocky roads. Um, what were some of the lessons you learned when you were starting out for people who are interested in automating and they haven't quite done it in their environment yet? Well, when we really started uh, designing and re-architecting the system, one of the things that became very apparent right away is that we needed a different skill set. Um, we needed, uh, uh, and, and we do now have a, an experienced staff programmer, I mean, you really have to have somebody who understands uh, REST APIs, uh, can can implement them, you know, in our case, we implemented them from scratch. There's very little framework in what we do um, not because it's, you know, because our problem is so unique, but because of the way that we wanted to leverage NetApp technologies in this to help us really scale this environment, make it easy to manage, make it robust, because we wanted to implement those things uh, and capture those features in that way, we, we kind of wanted to do it our way. We wanted to roll, a, we wanted to roll our own. Um, in that regard. And so um, having that skill set is absolutely critical. Um, that, um, you know, th that person, that, um, that resource, when you have them on your team, uh, has to be able to integrate with your, your system architects and your front-end people. Because basically, you're, you know, you think of it like a, a three-tiered system. You've got your front-end, so your presentation layer. This is your, your website or your content management system. Uh, talking to your orchestration, and then on the on the third tier, you know that bottom tier, it's your actual systems. It's your system design and how you're going to manage that. So having um, you know having a, a robust programming expertise uh, is absolutely critical to that. Um, you know we uh, uh, you know myself being somebody who's kind of system architecture background, uh, I was just completely outmatched by that by that uh, uh, project um, without, a, without somebody who really has a dyed-in-the-wool programming background to do it. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly try to learn it yourself, but the danger with that is you're going to make mistakes while you're learning, and you don't really want to make mistakes on your production environment. Well, and we've got experience with this. You know, we have some uh, older automation uh, that, uh, that predates uh, kind of the, the current orchestration system, and and it's been reduced into a front end, you know, that that now talks to that uh, to that middle layer, that middle tier, but um, but it really wasn't designed to do that. And so there's some sort of operational gotchas that we have to be careful about um, with that particular system. And it's because that system wasn't written by 
um, somebody who had a programming background, somebody who had kind of seen the the end result of, of a software lifecycle project like that. You know, it was it was purpose built to solve one problem, and uh, and it did. But when it became time to evolve, um, th- that system really couldn't it couldn't keep up you know we're making do with it at this point but uh you know it's it's one of the first things that we're that we're slated to update to kind of bring it forward into the into the brave new world so what sort of automation suites are you leveraging today i mean is it anything like chef or ansible or is it something like kubernetes where you have that tied together with that or is it is it a little bit of everything so right now our orchestration layer is all python uh written from the ground up uh, backed by a database, and uh, and it talks um, between VMware APIs and ONTAP APIs, and um, and and that's pretty much as simple as that. Now, of course, with um, with NetApp's increasing focus on cloud, we've had to extend that automation layer to be able to uh, to manage cloud resources as well. So we've done that. In fact, we're just now um, completing the third one of those. So we're we're offering. Uh, in addition to AWS and, and Azure resources uh, to our user base, uh, uh, Google Cloud uh, is in the fold as well. So, um, so all of those um, those APIs had to be um, had had to be uh, added on as well, so that uh, when you provision a lab that includes cloud resources, it uh, it does the right thing with the right hyperscaler uh, to to bring that into part of the lab environment. So is this automation suite something that could be plugged into pretty much any environment, or is it specific to this environment? Uh, ours is very specific to what we do. Um, the concepts, though, are, I think, fairly universal. Uh, you know, some of the things, and, and we've spoken with customers at length uh, on occasion about, you know, hey, hey how's, uh, here's how you could take this same approach, maybe not necessarily what exactly what we do because your business isn't labs, your business is software development, or your business is, uh, is, is a, a service. And so the... the um, uh, you know the particulars of it might be a little bit different, but the concepts really are the same. And a lot of the value that comes out of what we can do with ONTAP and do it very rapidly, um, the the centralized publishing, a lot of those things are really appealing to um, to, to elements of our customer base. And I guess my question basically is leading into: Have customers requested this automation from you, and is it something that? has been given to them or is it something that's just like it doesn't never even has been broached well uh definitely customers are top of our mind and so we've spent um you know i've brought in members of the team and we've had some some pretty deep long working sessions with um with some of our customer architecture teams to kind of take the wraps off of you know how we um, how we achieved some of our goals, and and talk at a whole nother layer of depth about um, how we accomplished them. Now, um, again, because what we do is fairly purpose built, we can maybe only share certain reusable code snippets or things like that. You know, not everything is uh, um, uh, certainly the the automation engine that we use isn't something we can just package and and hand to somebody and say, yeah, do it like this. Um, because it is built to do what we do. But, um, you know, we enjoy having those conversations, hearing about what customers are doing, the business challenges that they're facing, and seeing if, you know, the things that we're doing in Lab on Demand can be uh, applied to their, you know, solving those problems for them. 
So if a customer were listening to this podcast and they wanted to reach out to you about conversations around automation, how would, is it your email address or is there a DL they can reach out to? Yeah, probably the email address is just the, the best way to reach me. That's uh, toby at netapp.com. Uh, if you're an LOD user, you can come through our help desk, um, you know, so that reaches more than just me. Put in a support ticket and say, hey, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing. Can you talk to me? You know, give me the behind the scenes look how you actually accomplish some of this stuff, um, you know, and, and we will absolutely do that. So as far as cloud goes, I mean, are we currently using cloud resources for the Lab on Demand today or is it all tied into our own stuff? So we are using cloud resources. Um, so if you come to Lab on Demand uh, and uh, and reserve uh, one of our uh, what we call the hybrid cloud on demand labs that are available uh, right now only to employees, um, but the the hybrid cloud on demand labs actually have a cloud extension capability. So what we do in in there is we apply the automation both from the lab provisioning side and from within the lab itself. So there's actually automation uh, within the lab that it, when it wakes up, uh, it uh, it figures out, hey, what what lab am I? Uh, what um, you know? What cloud resources did I get? And what we give for cloud resources? When I say cloud resource, it's basically a user. So you get you know in AWS, you get an IAM user. In uh, Azure, you get a resource group. In Google, you get a project. So the, the in-lab automation will figure out, you know, hey, what flavor of lab am I? What cloud resources am I supposed to have and get set up? And then uh, automation kicks off within the lab to establish network connectivity to private cloud. You know, when I say private, I say like isolated, individually allocated uh, cloud resources in each of those hyperscalers for use with that specific lab. And then that makes it easy because when we go to clean everything up, we just blow it all away. So everything that that user can see, we just uh, we just clean it up, and so that helps us contain our cost. As far as you know, outside of the hybrid cloud lab, I mean, when people spin up VMs or they spin up uh, you know resources like that, that that's all basically in our data center. That's not in any sort of cloud data center, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're doing that on prem because you know with a with the the system as it's currently designed and it was uh, originally envisioned. Um, it's less expensive for us to, to do it on-prem. Um, and we have, um, certainly with some of the lab components we're dealing with, we can offer a lot more feature function uh, by doing it in an on-prem way than we can through the, the hyperscalers. Yeah, and this is one of those use cases where, you know, cloud would make sense in mm-hmm. some ways, but from a financial perspective, having not having control over who's spinning things up um, you know, anybody can go in and spin up a resource and then all of a sudden you're incurring cloud costs. That really just doesn't play nicely with what you're trying to do budget-wise. That, that is very true, you know, and, and I'm always faced with the budget constraints and the budgetary number and, and trying to, to stay on top of that. Um, you know, uh, the on-prem model still has a lot of validity in what we're doing there, uh, and we can offer a lot more service for the same dollar uh, by doing it that way. So um, in terms of, you know, I can get a lot of lifetime out of um, the equipment I deploy. You know, we've got, I think our oldest generation of server might be five years old, but they're still going strong and I can put labs on them and they perform uh, just fine. They're, they're you know, they're, they're um, uh, more than sufficient at that point. So speaking of five-year-old servers, 
what happens when we have a server fail? Like what sort of disaster recovery or redundancy do you have built into the lab on demand? Or is it just you take the outage and move on? So, so what we do, um, one of the things that's a little bit different about what we do is, um, you know, one, one of the value props of virtualization is I can treat it like one gigantic pool of capacity. Um, and, and for some use cases, that makes a lot of sense. It actually doesn't make as much sense for a lab on demand. Um, our lab environments tend to have a fairly limited lifetime, so they may only run, you know, a week, two weeks, up to 30 days or so. But at some point, they're going to go away because the user needs something different or they need the new version or, uh, or what have you. So um, – uh, with, given that short time frame um, and, uh, and the fact that we have these, you know, sort of, as I mentioned before, these maintainable capacity pods that we can, you know, bring up or down uh, pieces of the environment and, and do our maintenance while we're online. Um, the other thing that we do is, is uh, take those labs and we actually isolate them to an individual server because a, a given pod might have, you know, 200 you know, so I thinking like before I left my office today, I was looking at the dashboard and, you know, some some of our labs or some of our pods have uh, 270 ish labs running on them. Well, uh, if I lose a server in that environment and I let the VMs float anywhere, I could lose a slice potentially of hundreds of labs. So I have hundreds of users who are incurring some kind of outage versus if I isolate them to an individual server, um, then I might have maybe five users who are impacted, but they lose their entire lab. Well, you know, on, on the grand scheme, that's, that's sorry, and we definitely will send flowers when that happens, but, you know, uh, that's a much more manageable circumstance than having, you know, 100 users saying, hey, I can't reach one VM in my environment of 15. You know, um, that, that's just a lot harder problem to overcome. So you're basically building it up to have more instances for your fault tolerance as opposed to putting all your eggs in one basket. Very much so. So, uh, you know, with these uh, capacity pods that we deal with, you know, we're isolating our fault domains in a, in a couple of um, in a couple of different ways. So servers, as I mentioned, by isolating those labs and then within the pod itself, you know, so if for whatever reason. Uh, we have a failure of the entire pod. It's not a failure of the of the service. It's going to impact a significant number of the users, but it's not it's not all of it. Definitely, I want to follow up with um, highlighting again. You know, for our customers out there who might be listening, um, you know, come visit us in the hands-on labs because all this uh, great stuff that we talk about for lab on demand applies to that service as well. And, uh, and we're constantly revising and, and uh, trying to come up with uh, new lab offerings for our, for our user base there. And then for our lab on demand users, you know, definitely just, um, you know, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Reach out to us when we can help. Uh, and uh, we're here for you. Uh, last year, you did an insight session with labs, right? Oh, well, so it was it was a couple of years ago. I think it was uh, it might have been insight twenty sixteen. Okay. I did a session on kind of how we uh, how we apply some of this automation and and other uh, you know other environments that might might benefit. But um, you know, I have not revisited that. Lately. You should revisit that this Most year. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I think people will have a lot of interest in it. I think the interest is picking up over time because I think more and more people are realizing 
the value in being able to have a easily repeatable, error-free way of deploying multiple resources in an environment with, with a lower number of staff members. Absolutely. You know, everybody's being pushed to do more with less. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not unique to us. Um, uh, certainly, you know, we hear that from our customers all the time. Excellent. All right, Toby, again, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Uh, Toby at NetApp.com. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter at NTAPToby. Um, and then my team, so uh, the, the NetApp LOD at NetApp LOD. NetApp LOD on Twitter? On Twitter, okay. yes, sir. And on Reddit, you're also on the Reddit. I, I am hanging out on Reddit, still right. still waiting for Lurking. My, yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't done much there lately. Uh, I'm still waiting for my coins, right? That's right. You got to get your coins. Yeah. Can't got to get paid, that Reddit gold. All right, Toby, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Toby Creek for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.